My guest today on Mission Impact is Jean Bell. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers. And all of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Jean and I talk about how to integrate strategy and strategy implementation effectively into the structure of your organization. We explore how organizational systems, leaderships, and structure can support or get in the way of implementing a strategy. And why strategy isn't just about what the organization does externally, as well as why having crisp and clear strategies help you be more agile rather than less. Welcome, Jean. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thank you. It's so great to be here. So I like to start out all my interviews with a question around what drew you to the work that you do? What would you say uh, motivates you and what what's your why? Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we, my experience is that my why becomes clearer and clearer <laughs> the older I get and, and the early connections I can make to why that why was formed and how it was formed. I think I'm more conscious of them now, um, you know, in terms of the effect of my parents and the effect of growing up in San Francisco and the effect of um, doing a lot of like class travel across class and, you know, different parts of my youth journey that I don't think I would have initially in my twenties or thirties associated with my why or my how, but um, now I do. But, you know, I think the the short answer is I, I grew up um, kind of in a Jesuit tradition. You know, my dad was in that, uh, he obviously left, but, um, but uh, you know, was a teacher around a lot of teachers and, and around liberal arts and, um, by the time I got to Cal, I, I majored in, in ethnic studies. And so there was something pulling me towards a justice lens. And I immediately, you know, entered the nonprofit sector after college. Um, and it just sort of organically unfolded from there. But I think the combination of growing, growing up around, um, I don't want to overstate it. <laughs> you know, I've had to unlearn a lot and learn a lot more, but but a generally a justice orientation and a lot around education and teaching. Um, and so I kind of quickly found my way uh, through nonprofits to capacity building and leadership development, which really feeds me. And now I do that pretty much exclusively in a, a justice framework. Yeah, and I think that that kind of moving into that capacity building realm um, you know, if you, you you then have the opportunity to kind of combine that perspective of justice, and as you said, you know, we're we're all having to unlearn a lot of things, a lot of un unpack a lot of assumptions that we might have come mm -hmm. up with. Um, but it kind of enables you to combine that with that education perspective and helping people, you know, build their skills and their capacity um, to kind of you know that that ripple effect that that can have. Exactly, exactly. I'm just, you know, innately, it seems interested in organizational systems and processes and leadership. And I'm, you know, committed to the end cause. But what feeds me in the day to day is helping the people who are working towards that cause. Yeah, that was for me an interesting um, thing that I kind of had to realize that, you know, because so many people coming into the sector, it's because they're really passionate around a particular cause. Right. And what I started to learn over time was that a lot of what interested me was what helps people be more effective as they try to work towards that cause. Um, you know, all the things that go into making an organization work well, making a group work well together, um, how they're creating their strategy, how they're creating, you know, how they're making, doing decision making, all those kinds of things. And unfortunately, probably more from all the ways in which I saw it not working. Uh, yeah. you know, that kind of spurred a curiosity around that. Yeah. And I think what's especially exciting and also challenging now is that I think there's much more recognition, or at least there's a school of thought of which I'm a part that 
the what we practice inside organizations really matters and that it's it's difficult to be credible or even necessarily effective if we can't practice what it is that we're advocating for externally. So I think that mandate to leadership development and capacity building, I think has emerged more crisply in the last say 10 years or so, changed our work as leaders and capacity builders because kind of the wall between the inside and the outside came down and, and the organization as a laboratory for you know personal practice, for interpersonal practice, for exploring how we can do the work differently and more consistently with our quote unquote external values and strategies, I think, Kind of raise the bar for all of us. And uh, yeah, that's exactly where, you know, that rub between um, a, a mission, uh, you know, organizations that I worked for that had really ambitious and, and uh, wonderful missions for what they wanted, the change they wanted to see out there, but right. then we're not at all practicing, you know, those things internally, or even sometimes the exact opposite. And the, the disconnect between those two is kind of what led me down, down the, the path that I've been on for sure. So it's, uh, yeah, I think I, I'm curious to, to hear from you how you're seeing um those two those two perspectives come together a little bit more yeah i've been thinking a lot in my work with clients which you know includes a lot of work on strategy development that kind of the distinction between internal practice and external strategy is is less and less sharp and what i've been honestly what i've been encouraging my clients to do is not worry about that distinction and actually embrace that you know, again, our internal practices should at least be in a through line to our external strategies, if not pretty much part and parcel of the same. And so I've been kind of integrating different schools or different practices. Um, I think people in our sector, particularly in the social justice space, who really emphasize personal practice as, you know, kind of the way in, um, I, you know, I, I borrow from that and I agree with that. And I think it's, you know, important to have very crisp and clear-eyed, quote unquote, external strategies that understand the larger ecosystem and the financial resources and all those pieces. So all that to say, I, I pretty much call it all strategy. <laughs> and I think it's okay to have a list of organizational strategies, you know, core strategies, whatever, four, six, eight of them, where some of them may appear a little bit more internal or more about how we work internally. But to me, the likelihood that you're going to be able to execute one of those bold external strategies without that internal practice is very low. So I'm kind of not that interested anymore in sorting them out, but in looking at them as a set of strategies um, that, that are kind of interconnected and that make are interdependent, I guess, and make each other possible. I don't know if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. And I mean, I'm thinking about all the processes that I've supported over the last couple of years. And I feel like for sure, you know, the, the, and, um, the goals, strategies, initiative, whatever you want to call them, um, that emerged as kind of the big areas to pay attention to and put focus or put energy into for the organization. They were a combination of something that, that moved the mission forward in a specific way. And, 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 and depending on where the organization was or kind of what was happening and maybe it's life cycle stage or whatnot, um, there might be more on the internal that they needed to really take care of uh, to mm -hmm. be able to be effective externally and sometimes the uh, the other other way or uh, an even balance. But definitely um, it's interesting that you're saying uh, traditionally there's there's been a and I and I did get a question recently around that from a client. I guess I didn't realize where it came from of this notion that strategy has to be all for the outside and well, no, it's to me, at least it's what are you paying attention to? What are you putting energy into? Um, and there's been a lot of, uh, uh, you know, shift towards the notion of emergent strategy. And, and, and sometimes I feel like that ends up being kind of an excuse to just throw all strategy discussions out the window and say, well, we just can't do that. And I feel mm -hmm. like there's some middle ground between this is the document that we created. We can never change it once it's, you know, once we vote on it and 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 agree that this is where we're going, you know, this is the map and and there's no, I mean, even when you use a GPS, it 
and you take a wrong turn, it tells you to, you know, it's recalculating, like that should be built in or no kind of framework at all. And I'm curious of what you've been experiencing. Yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, a lot. And I think um, I think there is a little bit of a recognition in, in the sector. Again, I tend to work more with organizations, even if they're service organizations who have some sort of change orientation. So I don't want to you know, blanket the whole sector. But I think I think there is some recognition that we we do need to be crisp. Um, I think the uh, external environment, I mean, we, we can no longer keep talking about, you know, <laughs> oh, this is particularly complex or particularly challenging, you know, whether it's kind of the loss of the Supreme Court or whatever, it just keeps happening, right? And so I, I think we, we recognize, or I'm seeing people recognize that actually strategy is extremely important and, and understanding what we're trying to do to quote unquote win again, even if that's in service, right? Because service is also political, I think. I mean, you know, taking care of people that have been structurally marginalized is, in my view, a political act, right? We can do that in a way that is uh, quote unquote neutral, or we can do that in a way that is cognizant of how it's connected to all the systems and structures. So I'm, I don't mean to only be talking about advocacy organizations, but I, I think in this context, we, we have to be clear eyed that certain kinds of strategies have not worked, right? And and to me, that means being clear on what you're attempting to do. I love your, uh, your language around what we're paying attention to. That might sound soft to some people. I don't hear it as soft. You know, I hear that as this is the combination of ecosystem issues, you know, cultural issues, whatever, whatever we're working on that we have to be so on top of (laughs) in order to choose our four or five working strategies. And as you say, of course, they're adaptable. Of course, they're agile. Of course, they turn up and down. But I think the crispness is very important. Um, and, and really, what's there to be agile about if you're not crisp, right? I mean, there's nothing to even know that you're changing or testing if you don't define something, right? Can you give me an example? Um, so, because we're we're talking kind of bit, you know right, high level right. here, I'm I'm curious right. if you could like give an example or a story that that might bring that to life. Well, I'm I'm thinking about, um, and I don't want to disclose you know individual sure. clients, but but what I'm thinking about is well, actually, the Supreme Court is a is a great example, right? I mean, if if you were in an organization that was thinking of the you know classic legal approach to uh to social change um you have had to think differently about that i mean you know if the supreme court was was part of the solution <laughs> you know if if getting things up to that level and changed that way was part of your solution and i do have a client in that space um we're in a different environment you know for for quite some time now potentially and so that's what I mean about, you know, that strategy has to now be unpacked and and reconceived of, and I think in a very crisp way, as you say, it can't just be, oh, we'll wait and see what happens here. This is a different environment. And, and what does our legal work, what does our advocacy work mean in this context? And what I find is that, and not just that example, but what I find is that what's happening is that we're in a larger context of systems and structures not delivering the way we historically thought they would or were, right? And so that's an example to me of a a macro issue that should be affecting the way nonprofits craft strategy, right? Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but but that's an example of something that to continue on as if that's not the macro context would be an example to me of weak strategy, right? and and you've used the word crisp several times. Can you say a little bit more about what you mean by that? I think what I mean is is specific, right? I think a lot of times, again, strategy is written in very sort of neutral, you know, uh, positive terms. Um, and I think what what I'm suggesting is that strategy actually has to be responsive and specific to the operating context, right? It has to be specific to the political reality, to our internal capacity reality, to the financial realities, right? So I, I get excited more about strategies that are very specific to our environment, our capacities, our resources, right? Rather than just sort of global statements of, right, aspiration, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's room for both, right. But labeling, mm -hmm. which is which, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, normally I don't try to get caught up on, on what we're labeling each thing, but, but I'm uh, just working with a, a client recently where, you know, for each of their kind of strategic pillars, um, we, we had them do a, a vision statement, which was that what, what do we, if we succeeded, what would the world look like? Sure. And, you know, acknowledging we're not, you may never get there. Right. Um, but then that that at least says where we're aiming towards and then being able to get specific and, um, you know, more in the here and now of what do we need to do, you know, over the next couple of years to, to get closer to what we've envisioned. Right. Right. And so uh, and I, 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 I just want to say what, quickly, I mean, I, I think there are some things that that, you know, people who aren't in the more sort of radical part of social change are starting to open their minds to, uh, you know, I would use um, abolition as an example, right? Even if you are not an abolitionist organization, the, the, the work that's happened over the last 10 years and the continued violence, uh, you know, perpetrated by police, for instance, that's putting a pressure, right, on your thinking. Right. Again, even if you're not in the criminal justice reform space, I would argue that something like that widening out and that that questioning of systems, you know, that that's affecting you. If you're in domestic violence, if you're in housing, if you're in right. I mean, it's got to be starting to sort of seep in that our working assumptions about these systems and structures may not be where we're going to be as a, you know, as a culture or as a society in 10, 15, 20 years. So that, that's an example of something where you might say, well, our board's not ready to talk about abolition and that's not even what we do, but there's a pressure coming, right? About challenging that those systems and structures that actually potentially affect certainly next gen thinkers, right? People coming up, young people have a very different set of assumptions, your next program assistant or program director, you know, may be coming in with a lot, many different assumptions about how thing, how change is going to happen, right? And that's what I mean about are our strategies sensitive to these more, you know, to these shifts, these kind of seismic underlying shifts uh, to systems and structures and policies that, that all of our nonprofits really sit on top of. Does that, does that make a little more concrete sense? Yeah, no, I'm just thinking, um, I have definitely experienced and witnessed and then started myself that that sense of really questioning all those underpinnings, mm -hmm. that that's up for discussion and out in the open. And, and I mean, I guess just like, I don't know, anything that starts in the margins and then eventually right. kind of moves more to the that's center. It. It's it's more centered in conversations now than than I don't know any time in my career and I, you know I was going to college during the the Reagan era and um you know so it was all uh, kind of from the progressive point of view like how how do we survive and what's yeah. possible and 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 yeah that now there's just a whole different kind of why are we taking all all of those things as givens you know, what's underneath that and, and how do we start questioning that? And and so one of the things that I that you're working on um is also just looking at different ways to um work internally with organizations around decision making, around structure, around strategy, um, and to really create, you know, to try to build more equity and inclusion in how the organization operates. Um, and I'm, if you could just say a little bit about that model and kind of what you're learning as you're working with, uh, I, I think you're in the stage of working with some different pilots around that. Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah. The, the process and, and, and software is called just org design and really it's responding to what we've just been talking about in many ways, which is that the kind of strategy that I think is necessary, again, even for service organizations who are going to be, you know, uh, honest about what's going on in the ecosystem that makes those services necessary, right? So I'm not, again, I'm not only talking about advocacy organizations, but I think it's it's the all of it. Um, strategy is inherently interdisciplinary, right? And, and organizational strategy is inherently interdisciplinary, I, I think. 
And we are still working in very siloed departmental structures that assume that individual senior managers are taking those strategic, the real meaning and nuance and soul of those strategies in some consistent way into their silos, right? I think what we all experience is that that's not the case, right? That management teams actually spend a ton of time talking about HR challenges, at least the ones I've been on. They're not actually talking about how we stitch strategy together across multiple departments and silos. It's it's very rare that that's what the the driving it. When you say what are we paying attention to, most management teams are paying attention to budget and HR. In my experience, they're not actually paying attention to how we uh, get strategy to seep into everything we do. Right. So for me, we need a different structural response to that rather than just saying, oh, well, management teams are always putting out fires. You know, I, I think we have to recognize that we need to configure people around strategy. And so what Just Org Design does is say, you know, Departments are fine, project teams are fine, but they're insufficient and that we need to have not committees, not task forces, not every five year strategic planning, but recurring existing places that are cross functional and interdisciplinary to really explore and advance what we mean by these organiz organizational strategies, what we're learning, how they're seeping into the work or not, how we're developing people to accelerate those strategies, to really take that seriously. So uh, in a nutshell, it, it, it calls for and supports configuring people around compelling strategy and empowering those people to make choices not the little, you know, not the day-to-day -day choices that are people's individual jobs, but the kinds of choices that get deferred because we don't have strategy tables. The kinds of strat, the kind of choices that get deferred until strategic planning process, if even then, to move those and accelerate those with this these cross-functional groups that are really tending to strategy. And who are some of the people that would be around those tables? Because I think one of the the orthodoxies that is certainly being questioned is the idea that, you know, boards are the ones who have the strategic lands or, you know, leadership teams and or the executive <laughs> director that somehow by having ascended to that position or being appointed on that group, you suddenly are anointed <laughs> with with strategic talent. And <laughs> You can tell by the way I just said that that I don't believe hasn't been that. your experience. <laughs> Are you noticing uh, I, a different I, well, pattern, Sherry? I actually find that I find it seems to me that people at all levels struggle with being strategic, mm -hmm. and and you know mm -hmm. there's oh there's a lot of rhetoric about being strategic, um, but when it comes right down to it, uh, actually staying at at that out of the day-to-day -day, um, is really hard for folks. It's incredibly hard. And, you know, there's a, there's a, I think some debate going on about whether structure really matters. And again, is it more about personal practice that, that makes us, and I, I think structure is extremely important. And I, and I think leadership's job actually is to use structure as a lever to help people become more strategic together. Uh, I saw a blog recently called Strategy is a Conversation by a guy named Andrew Blum. And I really agree with that. You know, the words are just words. They're our best current articulation of, of you know, what we're trying to do, as, as you've said, and what we're paying attention to. The only way they really matter is if people are in constant conversation about them. And, and the reality is, you know, really almost ubiquitously, they're not. <laughs> They're really not. Strategies are not used as decision screens, as agenda drivers, as they're not, you know. People are using job descriptions to evaluate people, right? I mean, I feel like there's so much emphasis on job descriptions and titles and as if that is going to get us to, as you say, as if that's a proxy for strategic you know, activity or thinking or alignment. And I that just is not my experience. The reality is that we need to be in daily, weekly, ongoing conversation about what these strategies actually mean and how they're playing out and are they making our work better? Um, so, I, you know, I feel strongly that, uh, that you're correct, that, you know, everybody who works at the organization should be able to understand these words. The reason that they don't is because there's no space to discuss them, right? So who's at the table? 
Um, my current pilot client, who's a smaller organization, they only have about 25 staff, that what they're doing is they've put everybody at one of their key tables, right? So, you know, they want to have, if they're going to have a table around one of their core strategies, which they are going to have a cross-section of people there, not only the people who are quote unquote, you know, responsible for the delivery of that strategy, but somebody from communications, somebody from develop from development, somebody from finance, even who's helping to reimagine the budget to reflect those core strategies, not just these old departments, right? We've been saying all this for a long time, right, Carol, that, you know, strategy needs to be agile, it needs to be live and breathe, it has to come off the shelf, but we haven't done anything structurally to enable that. So can you, can you say a little bit more about how those tables work and how that does, how to, how they do, or how you're seeing them enable people to, to really, I don't know, work, work the strategy, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And we're early actually just yesterday, sure. uh, I facilitated a, a, a table, we call them tables because uh, they're not departments and they're not even teams. Right. I mean, again, we, those are other tools, right? This is a place to explore and advance strategy, right? And so what I'm seeing in the, in the buildup to these, and I'm just using yesterday's meeting as, a, as an example that's live in my, my mind, is people feeling a sense of relief, a sense of relief. In fact, that was, we had a one word checkout and multiple people said, I feel relieved. I feel relieved that this space now exists where I can come and say, wait a second, we're talking about, you know, centering a certain kind of leadership, but I don't know how to make that happen over here, right? I don't, you know, I keep hearing everyone say that, but we're not doing that here. Or, and the development person saying, I, I don't know how to position that in the marketplace for resources. I'm sure it is fundable, but, you know, and people having a space that's not just with their direct supervisor, right, who may or may not know, but with the group of people committed to advancing that work, how do we advance this work? How do we take it off the page and make it central to all of our work, right? And it may be that, you know, they don't know, but they'll find a way. Right. <laughs> I mean, the notion that someone know, someone there knows how to do all of this. No, exactly. And, and I mean, I think this is where, you know, honestly, this is where the collective wisdom really is valuable. It's not just performative. It's not just to get buy-in, you know, all that, right? Where we actually need a cross-functional group of people who are seeing the work, relating to different stakeholders, you know, and, and are able to come together and say, and get a 360 on this issue, you know, how this strategy is actually playing out, right? Yeah, and, and too frequently, what I've seen in organizations where they bring those cross-functional groups together, the meetings all they are, are updates and they yes. and somehow they think that by everybody knowing what i'm doing that somehow <laughs> there'll be a through somebody will figure out a through line on all of it yeah yeah so this, well, this is instead really if i understand what you're saying is putting the issue the strategy the you know whatever it is kind of in the in the center and then having lots of people to to have a conversation about how do we how do we make this real together. That's right. And I found myself as a facilitator and this takes good facilitation and, and this is a skill set, right? That, you know, that we need to build inside organizations that, that shouldn't only be consultants every two years or three years. And, and what I'm realizing, another thing I'm realizing as we roll this out, Carol, is that that's part of what we're doing is teaching people to how to host good meetings, how to have strategic conversations, right? How not to fall back into project updates and departmental updates, right? We have staff meetings and other devices for that. This is a space, not so, I mean, it is for information sharing, but to the extent that it's in service of, a, you know, an ambitious prompt, like where are the gaps now between this language on the page and what we're doing and presenting to the world, right? That's an important prompt. You know, it's not an indictment of anybody. It's these strategies are supposed to be pulling us towards our best work where are we? Right. And people having the space, you know, the safe or brave space to talk about that. Um, the other thing I want to say about it is I think that in the move to uh, share power more, to distribute decision making more, to focus on race equity more, I think a lot of executives and senior leaders are giving spaces away 
rather than showing up to those spaces differently. And what Just Org Design is saying is, I want you in the room. <laughs> you know, in a 25 person organization, the executive director often is the person with the most, you know, at least, you know, certain kinds of visibility into the larger market, the ecosystem, the partnerships, right? So instead of that executive director saying, you know what, I, I know everyone hates the management team and, you know, I, I've been hoarding power and blah, blah. So here, create a pod called, you know, strategic, <laughs> you know, vision or something. No, I, what I want you to do is show up to that table differently. I want you to show up to that table as a strategic collaborator and hopefully a mentor and as someone who can share information, but also hear feedback from other roles and have discussions, right? So I, I say all that to say that I think this is also about, it is about how we hold power in organizations. As you say, it is about creating more equity and giving more people proximity to strategy, which is really giving people proximity to power. Right. And it's creating accountability for those leaders. So rather than sending a bunch of junior people off and hoping they come up with a valid recommendation, which is what we see so much. Right. No, you create a different space. You invite them to the table and educate, edify, engage and create that strategic capacity beyond your management team. And when you're coaching leaders to help them show up differently, as you're describing, what are some of the behaviors that they need to unlearn? Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's, we can frame these as, um, you know, caretaking, or we can frame these as nefar more nefarious, right? But I, I think, and it's, it's a mixture of both, as you know, right? But I think that executive directors, even in social justice spaces, even people who profess, you know, to be on the journey, <laughs> uh, you know, they do struggle with not being the expert all the time, with not quickly and definitively correcting things that aren't right. You know, there's a there's a, a, ten, a tendency, I think, in executives uh, to be, and I was this too, to be activators, to be, no, 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 it's not that, it's this, right? No, 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 you know, I just met with them yesterday. It's not this, it's that, right? to try to constantly correct the record. And, and, and I think that's part of it is, you know, let the conversation happen, but again, bring your knowledge. But I think there's a difference between bringing your knowledge and trying to get everything in line with how you know it should go. Right. <laughs> and well, that's, I would that's say the from, difference. Yeah. From, from groups that I've observed, uh, one of the simplest things would be for the leader at, you know, whether they're executive director or co-director right. or head of the department or whatever it is, or yep. chair of the board or whatever, just to not be the first person who talks. Some real simple tactics there. Wait. Yeah. Wait and Wait. listen. Because as soon as you put your thing in, boom, everyone's going to glom onto it. And I don't think, I, don't, I think, especially if you've been in a leadership role for a long time, you may forget what that position brings. And the impact it has on the people around you. That's, right. That's um, right. And and you've gotten so used to them behaving that way. You think right. that you're acting as a peer when no, you're not. That's right. That's right. And and really, the truth is, you don't know everything. You know, you don't know everything about, you know, you might know everything about, you know, who's going to be the next board chair. You know, there's things you know that no one else knows about the organization, perhaps. But these conversations are about strategy. And if your strategies are truly compelling, if they are truly pulling the organization forward, there is a lot you don't know about how to get there, right? And if you're telling me that there's nobody on your team who can participate in a conversation about that gap, about that unknown, about that what's next, well, then you have a, a hiring problem. I mean, you know, then, then you haven't recruited people to where the work is going. And that may very well, you know, sometimes be the case, you know, part of what happens when we, when we are willing to organize conversations around strategy is we may realize that we haven't even recruited to those strategies or those strategies are evolving. And again, our departments are stuck in sort of functional definitions of success. Did we get the donor mailing out? Did we retain 30%, you know, what did that mailer say, <laughs> right? It doesn't reflect where the work is going, right? That is not always, there isn't a place always to, to create that accountability. And that's the accountability I'm looking for is, are we all moving towards where the work needs to be going, right? 
And I think that could be a recruiting issue, but I also think it can be, you know, a, just a willingness to develop folks. And I also think uh, at least what I've observed is, and, and, you know, well, one, I wish I knew as much as I knew when I was 18 and 22, <laughs> right? Because I knew everything then. <laughs> and you were going to learn forever, which I learned great, too. no less. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I also, but I've also heard a lot of folks uh, and I've experienced this myself of, you know, they've been in a leadership role for X amount of time. They kind of look out and they're like, no one's ready to be where I am forgetting when they stepped into that role, whatever number of years ago that was, did they feel ready? That's right. Were they quote unquote ready? And no, not. they've, they've, they're now benefiting from all that experience, all the mistakes they've made, all the wins they've had, and then somehow expecting the people that they're, you know, that are not in those roles to somehow have that same experience. And if not, then they're not ready. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and you know, I, I I said a few minutes ago that I think structure matters a lot. I mean, I I actually believe that organizational design is now a leader should be a, an explicit executive responsibility. Our our traditional structures they don't serve young people very well. They are not promoting enough people of color. They are not inherently strategic. So to me, this is a leadership problem, right? And we can't just say, oh, I'm just going to you know tweak around the edges or create some task forces now and then. I I think we have a structural problem, right? So obviously that's why that's why I'm addressing this. And I think we have to get serious about what structure should be accomplishing. And there's a few things I think it should be accomplishing. I think it should literally be accomplishing getting people proximate to strategy. So, you know, you don't have to necessarily use, you know, my process of tables, but if your structure has 70 or 80% or more of your people not proximate to strategy, then it's not a sufficient structure in my view, right? Um, it should be accomplishing leadership development. If you are not able to promote from within and promote diversity from within, then people are not getting, as you just said, what they need, which is proximate to strategy, proximate to expertise, proximate to key relationships, you know, internally and externally. And if your structure is not delivering that to people, then it's not working, right? And certainly race equity and DEI in general, if your structure is not working for people of color, right? If it's not working for young people, it's not working for trans people, you know, that's on you. <laughs> you know, there's something not working. And so to me, we we want to sit down and say, okay, well, here's this org chart. What is it accomplishing in terms of the goals I just said, right? Is, is it designed just because that's what I inherited? Is it designed for efficiency? Is it designed for functional expertise? As you said a few minutes ago, just because I'm a good, you know, marketing officer, does that mean I should be, you know, what is on the management team? Like, what does that get us, right? What is it delivering for us? So I, that's what I want to see people do is say, what is this structure delivering for us? And what feedback are we getting? Do people like this? Is this invigorating? <laughs> Right? Do our younger people like it? Do our people of color like it? Do we feel strategically aligned? And is our structure helping us get there? Yeah. And one thing with structures, I mean, I feel like um, over the years, I, I, I can't think of an organization that hasn't had somebody say, oh, we're so siloed. Yeah. And the the fix for that has to has been to reshuffle everyone into new teams. But my experience is usually they just end up in new silos. Um, so how what, with this kind of idea of bringing um, multidisciplinary groups together around focused on a strategy, how often are you then kind of thinking about, do we have the right tables? Do we continue with these tables as you're calling them, these, these right. groups, or do we need a new set? given our yeah. circumstances now. And this I can only predict and hope because okay. I don't have enough. <laughs> I'm only a year in, but my the way we're setting them up is with an assumption of evolution, right? That this okay. is our best understanding of the strategic conversations we need to be having now. Um, you know, just as we've been talking about, we we want strategies that are clear and 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 discerning. We also want them to be agile, right? And we also may realize that 
you know, certain people have come to a table and they've participated and it's been productive, but maybe their time is better used, you know, somewhere else. Again, it's not a job to be on the table, right? You're bringing your work and your perspective to a cross-functional conversation. It's possible that people will want to step out of that at certain periods because something else is consuming them or, you know, so we want the table space. We want tables to be permanent that there, there are always tables, but not the specific tables themselves, right? There should always be cross-functional spaces that are dedicated to understanding and advancing strategy, but what they are and who's on them, I think will be more, more agile, more dynamic. And how are, how are the groups kind of finding the time and space to, to even dedicate to those? Because, you know, I think the, uh, the unfortunate situation that too many organizations are are already in is that they feel like they're over they're overwhelmed by what they're trying to do right now. That's so then it, to, yeah. to to you know to be doing something like this or doing it differently really, um, you know, feels impossible. Well, you've hit on one of our you know one of our major resistance uh, sort of threads, and of course, what we're trying to do here is prove. A negative, right? We cannot quantify the amount of conflict and wasted time that exists because people are not strategically aligned, right? In fact, probably, you know, a great deal of what people are doing when they're not doing the work is trying to clear a path for the work or figure out if they're doing the right work or figure out why that other project is happening when they thought they were doing this. You know? And and we can't even quantify it. It's so much the water we're swimming in. But the hypothesis, of course, is that investing a few hours, you know, every two weeks or three weeks in resetting on what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How is it manifesting in our key bodies of work is going to pay off, you know, exponentially in that being smoother work between meetings, right? Again, I think we put so much emphasis on one-on-one -on -one supervision and sort of traditional HR structures that, you know, I don't care how great your supervisor is, they cannot approximate hearing 10 people unpack, explore, advance strategy. I mean, that that's like a masterclass every couple of weeks. That's what we're looking for, right? It has to, it has to save time. How we end up measuring that is something that I'm very interested in, right? And it'll initially be qualitative, right? Asking the table participants, has this provided more clarity, more smoothness? Has it facilitated better collaboration? You know, have you gotten in front of things that used to blow up a lot? That That's the kind of stuff we want to see, right? Yeah, I, I, I imagine that is, and, you know, soon this analogy won't work anymore because people won't remember having to actually turn a dial on a radio to get the, <laughs> get the signal to come in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you're just all static, if there's so much static in the organization, you're wasting a huge amount of time and effort just trying to, you know, get a clear signal through all of that static. Um, and and I, I feel like when I'm, you know, I'm typically working with groups in that a little bit more traditional, you know, once every couple of years, big mm -hmm. process. But the mm -hmm. thing that they talk about as being energizing and exciting is how much they learn from other people, That's the it. kinds of conversations that they get to have in that that they don't typically have, the That's connections it. that they see by being in, in you know, in, in cross-functional groups and different groups through the whole process. Um, so, you know, to be able to kind of build that into more of a regular pattern instead of just every three years for a, for a big momentous thing. I mean, there's probably a need for a little bit of both, but oh, certainly. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that to, to be able to bring some of that in uh, to me, yeah, I can, I can intuitively see the benefit and then it's mm -hmm. right. As you're saying, like, how, how do we help people? Uh, how do we start measuring it in a way that is compelling. Yeah, that's right. And I, I mean, one other thing I would add, there's a beautiful um, free resource actually that you can find online came out last year called Turning Towards Each Other, a conflict workbook. Or, uh, and, you know, I, I think we are at a time where there is heightened conflict inside organizations. And one of the points that that workbook makes is that some of that is actually conflict about strategy. It's not named that, mm. but it's actually people in conflict about what we're doing, why we're doing it, whether it's credible, whether it's consistent with what we're, if we're walking our talk, that's a lot of the conflict 
that's going on in organizations right now. And there isn't, again, one-on-one supervision is not going to solve that, right? We need a space to say, hey, there's a gap, you know, or I'm not feeling this communication strategy is consistent with what we're saying over here. Like there needs to be a place that's cross-functional where we can explore that. And so another thing that we hope is, is, is that this is not preventing conflict, but creating a productive space for people to debate how these strategies get expressed. Yeah. So they can engage in it. I was listening to something recently about, you know, different levels of conflict and, and when it gets to what the person termed high conflict, then people are just dug in and they're, they're in those kind of polarizing my way or your way. I'm right. You know, you're not right. Um, but when you can, you know, so then it's it's probably the conflict that most people think of and, and the one that they shy away from and that feels yeah. very unproductive because it is unproductive. Right. But there is there are, you know, if you can kind of create spaces for be, people to be able to not necessarily be in positions yet around one way or the other. Um, exactly. And explore it together. I think that's, exactly. that's the difference. I mean, when I was an executive director, I, it, it was a time of the organization where we were intentionally going through a lot of change. But but you know what happens in change management is what you just said, is that unless there are spaces for people to debate and, and you know, vent a little bit about the strategic dissonance they're feeling, people get put into camps right? In people's minds. There's the people who get it. There's the people who don't get it. Oh, don't even go to her. She doesn't get it. You know, she doesn't, you know, well, you know, get it. There's no space to get it, you know? And then it be, as you say, then people get labeled as either old guard, new guard, you know, get it, don't get it. And then there's, there's so little that's possible in terms of collaborative change work together. Yeah. Well, none of this is easy and (laughs) <laughs> but uh, inviting people in to just just think about it and experiment with it a little bit. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. You can download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at greatsocialsector.com slash resources. And we're back. So I end each uh, conversation with um, a a random icebreaker question that I pull from a (laughs) box. So um, one I'm going to ask you is, if you were stranded on a desert island and you can choose one person to keep you company, who would it be? So this is supposed to be like a famous person? doesn't matter it could be I mean obviously I would choose my partner (laughs) um and I'm not just saying that in case they listen to this um but if you want a more sort of global answer that's not a, a personal relationship um I would I I would pick um a poet (laughs) <laughs> and I was just thinking about uh, the poet who I always bring up, it seems like in the last few months, um, uh, Natalie Diaz. Yeah, I would pick somebody who uh, could, you know, keep the world magical through their language. Mm, okay. All right. Thank you. Well, what's coming up? Um, we've been talking about what's emerging in your work, but uh, what what are you seeing over the next year or so in terms of all this new work that you're that you're doing and the, the yeah. projects you're working with? Yeah, I'm. You know what I'm really excited about is different uh, organizational profiles, right? So it's called Just Org Design. So it's clearly, you know, designed with organizations who, you know, think of their work as in some way in service of justice. And so, you know, that that's kind of the the large catchment that we're in. But what I'm really interested in, Carol, Carol, is different profiles of that. And we also think that tables may in fact work across organizations and and really support coalitions and collaboration across organizations because this is a software that can track, you know, who's at that table, what choices are we making, what are the agendas for future meetings, which is such a lot of work that keeps people from doing collaboration externally well too. So, you know, I'm we've got a pilot client who's more of an organizing group who I think may go in that direction where it's internal, but then can also create a bridge to some of their key partnerships. So, you know, kind of looking for different client profiles that, you know, are under the large umbrella of, of justice work, um, but have different 
existing configurations and different kinds of strategies that will benefit from really well-structured and, and software-supported consistency around really centering strategy. Yeah, because I, you know, there's only so much any one organization can do in any of these fields. Right. So that that supporting those larger collaborative initiatives, uh, coalitions, um, it's where so much of the work is now happening. So that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was great. It was just enjoyed the conversation. I definitely could talk to you about this stuff all day, <laughs> but <laughs> we won't do that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. I appreciated Jean's emphasis on the interconnection between your organization's strategy for the external environment that supports your mission and the internal that, in fact, also support your mission. That it is all interwoven and at once amplifies and one amplifies the other and both sides and intentions are needed. I also appreciated her description of a crisp strategy. There's a lot of emphasis on being emergent and agile in today's environment, and rightly so. Yet, by clearly defining and crisply setting your intentions, you know what you're pivoting from if you need to pivot. That the strategy is specific and clear, not vaguely neutral, not trying to offend anyone. And that they're specific within the capacity and financial resources of your situation, not just about wishful thinking. And without those, you're really not pivoting or being agile. You're just really kind of spinning in circles. Another point that I really appreciated was her description of the work she's doing to help organizations integrate their strategy into their day-to-day work through an interdisciplinary approach. When I'm working with clients and in the process of discovery, where I interview and listen to staff, board, and other key stakeholders, so often the issue of silos between departments comes up. And by creating spaces for cross-functional teams to discuss specific strategies and how it shows up in everyone's daily work, it also can become more real for everyone. Instead of strategy just being something we do at a retreat every couple of years, that departments or project teams are fine but insufficient and creating spaces or tables, as Jean calls them, to talk about how the day-to-day choices that are constantly made reflect and integrate the greater strategy of the organization. Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Jean Bell, her full bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Natasha DuBois of 100 Ninjas for her production support. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your favorite social media platform and tag us. We appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.